0: Hello and welcome to our new sermon series, You Decide. Trevor is going to lead us in the first of these, which is called You Decide, Which Side are You On? Enjoy. Don't you just love the internet? I think we've all grown to discover that the internet isn't a kind of added extra, it's an essential part of life now. We've all discovered we can't live without it. Uh, Just wait till the Wi-Fi goes down in the house and you discover how much everybody needs the internet. The great thing about the internet is it gives us a window into the world, not just around us, but around the world. We get to see so much, and I suppose it depends what you use the internet for, depends on what you get to see. I think what we've discovered as a society is that on the internet, you can also find the most dreadful behavior, the most dreadful place for trolling and bullying and rudeness and arguments and people talking in a way that they wouldn't face to face, but on the internet through that safety of distance and maybe anonymity, some of the worst parts of human nature comes out. And maybe even more so at this current time, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion about everything and everyone must listen to my opinion or to your opinion. Not only then must they listen, you must agree. If you don't agree with me, then I'm going to tell you 20 reasons why you're wrong. And that, that culture in our behavior in our society of, of, of internet battles and keyword warriors fighting has not only happened in our society, it seeps in to the church when we go online. And as I use the internet, as I look around, not only just at things like Facebook, but YouTube, and news sites, and what's going on around the world, and in our nation, and even in our own community, or our church, is I see that behaviour creeping in. Not even creeping in, it's maybe become part of who we are. And what I far too often see is division. The church divided either in relationships or in denominations or in movements or in viewpoints. There, there are far too many armchair heretic callers, someone who wants to create a YouTube channel or a blog somewhere that wants to knock someone else's ministry. Or maybe even big names in the church Christian circuit who want to call out someone else who's a big name who's wrong. And we see this division. And just, you know, if you wonder about it, spend a little bit of time on your Facebook feed. Find, find a little bit of time on your Facebook feed and look, and you will find friends, Christian friends, maybe people in the church, people who are around you, people who follow Jesus. One person will say, you know what, this government, they need our sympathy, they're trying so hard, this virus is so difficult. And you'll find someone else saying they're buffoons, they haven't got a clue what they're doing. Two very strong opinions. You'll find someone saying, we should stay at home and keep everything safe. And you'll find someone else saying, no, the government's trying to suppress churches and we should get back to church and we should get out there. And beyond just those kind of little differences of opinion, you find there are some issues that when you hit a nerve, the division can go quite deep. And that thing, that thing called division, it's one of the oldest and most common strategies of Satan. The oldest, most common strategy of Satan. Just think through the history of the Bible, right back to the very first family in the Bible. Division came with Cain and Abel, divided brothers, one hating on the other. Wind the clock forward and you get to Jacob and Esau, two twin brothers wrestling with each other, trying to have one up on each other, divided families. Joseph and his brothers, Divided, selling their their brother into slavery, a divided family. Even when you get to the point of the people of Israel and God establishes a king with David and then his son Solomon and then the kingdom divides between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You see this story throughout the Bible of the enemy strategy being division. And so it's no wonder when you get to Jesus, When Jesus arrives, one of the key words that he says is in his final prayer that's recorded in John chapter 17. In verse 21, Jesus prays and he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. That's his prayer for his people that there wouldn't be division. You know, the enemy has a strategy of division. That's his most oldest, most common strategy is to bring separation and division. But God's plan is to reconcile. The enemy divides, God reconciles. And we have to decide which one of those do we want to be in? Which side are you on? You know, this trick of the enemy is to bring division. Jesus comes and he prays that they would be one. And that prayer was answered in his people for a short while. And we read in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas who did ministry together in the end reach a point of division. They fall out with each other and go their separate ways and minister in different ways. As church history winds forward, we have the division of the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. You get to the Reformation and you get the the split from the Catholic and the Protestant Church. And now we find ourselves in a place where there are multitudes of denominations just in our little country. And it goes beyond that, even within churches, there's division. Those of you who have been a Christian a while and been around other churches, how many church splits have you been around or you are aware of? Where churches that were once so close become divided, division and disagreement creeps into the church. Some argument happens, two people have a disagreement and both start gaining people on each side someone's for someone else someone's for the other side and people take sides and churches split if you've not been around this i want to tell you this is a sadly well worn path and and when what we see is not something that we could call unity in the body of Christ Jesus's prayer that we would be one, his prayer that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father, may my people be one. That prayer of his is yet to be fully answered. And so with that backdrop, with that recognition that division goes through the Bible and through our history, it's no wonder that as we journey through the book of Philippians, that in the midst of everything that Paul writes, he stops to spotlight this issue. We're working through the book of Philippians. We're in the final chapter of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter four, verses one to three, Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, my companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If If you were reading through Philippians, you might pass these few verses by. Three rather strange verses in the midst of everything else that Paul writes, rather personally, to the church and to people. Two strange names that aren't very common to us. We don't hear them in our modern culture. Two ladies, one called Iodia, and the other one called Syntyche. But Paul stops in his letter to take time to the church that he's writing to, to say, hey, I've heard, even from his place in prison, I've heard about this division. And it concerns him enough to include it in his letter. It concerns him enough that he says, go help them. Go help them to agree. Help them to be reconciled. And it would be so easy to overlook these verses, just to read through and think, oh, this was something specific for those people. But there is a lesson here, as we hear, Paul crying out for reconciliation. As he cries out, help these women, there is a lesson here for us. As we learn to reconcile, as we learn to bring reconciliation. If the enemy's strategy is through division, God's strategy is through reconciliation. And as people who are in God's family and on God's side, we are in the business of reconciliation. And we need to get how the Bible describes this thing called reconciliation. Why? Why is it such a big deal? Well, I think we've heard history has proven this is a big deal. It happens over and over again. It has lasting implications. But, But what do we do about it? Where do we come from? What's the basis for this? Well, I wanna use these few verses to talk about the hearts for reconciliation. I wanna talk about the ground for reconciliation and the purpose. Jesus' church has divisions that, that takes place just like these two ladies were divided. It happens so often in churches, in Christian communities, in not just within a church, but maybe in Christian friendship groups where division comes in. Where the enemy has his way and brings division and god wants to cause us to bring reconciliation it's ironic really so often you and i we pray to jesus to answer our prayers but i believe in this issue jesus is asking us to answer his prayer jesus prayed let them be one And as I want to show you this morning, through these verses and through the truth of the word of God, God calls us to bring reconciliation, to bring people back together where the enemy has had division. And so not only that we as individuals would not be divided with others. That's one issue, that we can have a division with a brother or a sister in Christ. We can have a falling out or a pushing away or a staying away from each other, that is an issue but also that we would be those who would help those who are divided to come together. So let me talk to you about this heart of reconciliation. Have a look at verse one of chapter four. Just hear the heart of reconciliation here. Hear the heart of love. Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. You might want to underline some words there in your Bible. He talks about those whom I love and I long for. He calls them my joy and my crown. He he calls them my beloved. These are words of love as Paul speaks from a heart of love into this situation. And this whole thing about reconciliation starts from a motive of love. Look at these words here. These are loving words, they're words of affection. And let me say as we step into helping bring reconciliation, you've got to do that in love. Without a motive of love, you're dead in the water. Without a motive of love, what we would do is put this good advice into practice badly when you step into a place imagine there are two people they're christians they're brothers and sisters in the lord but they're divided and maybe they're they're throwing words at each other maybe in face to face maybe on the internet maybe to each other or to others about each other when you step into that you are stepping into middle of two people who are not getting on with each other And when you step into that, if you're not starting from a position of love, they can tell your motives. Everyone who's got two sides is looking and going, are you for me or are you against me? And so you have to love. To step into the middle of a battleground, you have to love. You have to come from a motive of love that says, I'm not after any side, I'm coming because I love you and because I want to bring reconciliation. And what is he saying? in that? He says, stand firm in the Lord. I think when we hear those words, we often hear the stand firm. I get what standing firm looks like. It means I'm gonna hold my ground. I'm gonna stand my ground. I'm gonna stand firm in my beliefs. But that would be true if the words were just stand firm. But he says, stand firm in the Lord. And when you stand firm in the Lord, it means standing firm in holding your character. Your Christ-like character. In the book of Ephesians, Paul brings this to life in there. In chapter four, verse 15, Paul says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's wonderful, isn't it? As we speak the truth in love, we grow in every way to be more and more like Christ. As the words that we say to bring reconciliation are full of love, we grow in every way to be more like Christ. And I've heard that phrase, speak the truth in love, for many, many years through my Christian life. They're words that are so much easier to say and they're so much harder to do. You know, when there's division, there's usually two sides to that. And when you see Christian brothers and sisters divided, it might not just be individuals, it might be churches that are divided, it might be church movements that are divided, it might be political views, it might be whatever. When you see that division, there are two sides. And you may well be drawn to want to take a side, one side that you agree with and one side you less so agree with. As we become people who want to bring reconciliation, you can't take a side. You've got to reach out to both in love. I mean, yeah, both. Even those who you don't really agree with, you want to reach out to them in love. And so your words, your actions, your motives have got to be grounded in love. And so it begs the question, how do we do that? How generally, seriously, this isn't just like some preach for the sake of it, how do we reach out to people that we disagree with in love? Well, I think there's only one way to do that, and that's to surrender ourselves to God's help, to ask him for help. Say, Lord, I need your grace in this. And so even in the midst of this sermon, I just want to take a moment as we're pondering this, as you're thinking about this, as you think, how on earth do I do that? Why don't we stop right now? Let's ask God. We need his help. Pray with me. Lord, if you're calling me to help others, to move from division to being reconciled, Lord, I need your help. I need your help to love. I need your help to change my heart that it would love, that my words would be loving, that I would speak the truth in love. These are things that I don't find easy, God, and I need your help. Lord, would you shape me, soften me, fashion me. Lord, help me to be a minister of love. Amen. The Bible is saturated with these words. Let me just quote you a couple of Bible verses, but there are so many more. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, it just simply says, do everything from love. Let that be your motive, do everything from love. I love the way that Romans puts it, especially in the New Living Translation. In Romans chapter 12, 9 to 10, it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them hate what is wrong, hold tight to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honouring each other. And that's so much easier to do with people that we agree with, the people that we think are in the right. But he's talking about it to all of our brothers and sisters, those that we don't agree with, those that we think are in the wrong, that we would hold tight to what is good, that we would love each other with genuine affection. Ephesians 4 2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. The enemy's strategy is to divide, God's strategy is to reconcile. And he reconciles from a heart of love. And he calls us to bring Reconciliation from a heart of love. And so the foundation for this, the heart of reconciliation is love. The ground on which we stand in, the ground for reconciliation is given to us in verse three. Verse three says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me, in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Do you hear these words, true companion? Laboring side by side, fellow workers. He's saying the reason, the ground on which we can come together and reconcile is that we are co-workers side by side. Whether you realize it or not, Every Christian brother and sister on this planet is a co-worker with you. We are an army, an army. And the tragic thing about Jesus's church is we're the only army who has more casualties through our friendly fire. We're the only army who has more casualties through friendly fire. Someone has a go at someone else's ministry. You find them, they're out there on YouTube. Someone somewhere has an opinion about someone else's ministry, calling them a heretic, calling them a fake, telling you that they're wrong. Everyone is out there saying these things. Friendly fire someone somewhere is saying you should go back to church ignore what the government's saying get back to church and someone else is saying you should obey the rules and then these two are criticizing each other they're there if you look for them. i get most of these on my news feed the church is divided with this friendly fire one person says black lives matters and someone else says well all lives matter and then the war of words start between the two One says we should fight for LGBTQ rights and the rights of those who are oppressed. And another says, no, 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 that's compromise. We're compromising the gospel. And then the war of words starts. We see these divisions going on within the Church of Christ. We're the army that has more casualties through friendly fire. And Jesus' prayer is that we would all be one. You know what, the church down the road from us is not our rival. They're our fellow soldiers. The brother or sister on the internet that you don't agree with is not your enemy. They are a fellow soldier. You might not always agree. You might not always agree with me. You might not always agree with this person who you might have in mind right now, but we're on the same team. And you know what I struggle too? There is a keyword warrior inside of me bursting to get out every now and again. I'll read something on the internet and everything I want to do is just get there. And just, you know, I might, sometimes I want to write a lot and really get at them. Sometimes I might want to just play that nice little undercutting comment. There's a keyword warrior inside of me who wants to do that. But it's not the prayer of Christ. And it doesn't mean that we don't sort out our differences. It's just a question of how we do it. I remember a story uh, that, about my dad. I remember this as I was a child. So way back before the internet, before podcasts, before you could get messages online, um, people still wanted to hear sermons from other churches. And my dad used to receive tapes. If you don't know what a tape is, go ask your parents. We used to, he used to receive tapes of sermons from another church over in America. And then one day, my dad really felt there was a word of critique for this church, that they needed to be corrected. Now, there wasn't a Facebook that he could go and do a little rant on there that everyone could listen to about how they were wrong. He couldn't create his own blog post that everyone could read, couldn't do his own YouTube video. No, it wouldn't have been the right way anyway. What he did was, is he wrote to them, that old fashioned thing of letters. He wrote to them and said, I believe God's given me a word for your leadership. If I spend the price of a flight to America to come to speak to you, will you listen to me? And they said, yeah. And so that was the first time we went to america i mean me (laughs) i got a holiday to america out of it but my dad went on to visit this church a rather big church and to give them a word that said you're wrong and you need to sort something out that's a whole other story they listened to him they said you're right there's a whole lot more to that story but what i wanted you to get here is that heart that says, I'm not gonna go broadcast this to the world. I'm not gonna have a food fight for everyone to watch. I'm gonna go and speak to this brother and sister and we're gonna work it out. You know, when you seek to bring reconciliation, it starts with common ground. It starts with that ground that says, we're on the same team. I'm not your enemy, we're on the same mission. we're working together. We're on a mission to see the lost souls saved. We're on a mission to see Jesus' name lifted up in our land. We're on a mission to see the gospel advanced. We are in this together. we're not against each other. We might disagree, we might have different views, but we are on the same mission and so we work together, not against. You know, I've seen some great unity in the churches together in the craze as we have sought to work together. And the turning mission that we did last year brought together churches across Bromley Borough. We were part of the Orpenton Hub. It brought together churches across Orpinton. And as we sought to be united in sharing the gospel, We dropped our theological differences, our styles of worship. There were even people who came together, who had been in churches together, had experienced splits and experienced hurts. And what they said was, can we just unite in sharing the gospel? Because the enemy seeks to divide, but God seeks to reconcile, and you have to decide which side are you going to be on. The purpose of reconciliation. There's a purpose to all this. It's not just because Jesus prayed for it and that's a really good reason. But let's be honest, why do we need to get along? What's the purpose of reconciliation? Let me tell you, the purpose is hidden in the last part of verse three. Verse three, where it says, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The purpose of reconciliation is to show salvation. This book of life, mostly heard of in the book of Revelations, it describes this book where everybody who is saved, everyone who's adopted into God's family, everyone who has a place in the throne room of God in heaven, their names are written in a book of life. Just imagine that somewhere in heaven, there's your name, written in the book of life you know the great thing about that book it isn't full yet there's room for more and God's mission is to see more names in the book of life we are called into this mission that God has it has a name it's called the ministry of of reconciliation because where the enemy's mission is to divide and God's mission is to reconcile, he works through his church, through you and through me to bring this reconciliation. You know, what message does it bring when we bring reconciliation? We when you take two people, two parties, two groups, two churches, two sets of people who are divided and you bring reconciliation, you preach a message louder than any sermon on the internet going viral, more views on YouTube. When you see broken relationships restored, when forgiveness is shown, when grace is at work, we role model God's reconciliation. You know, when we love one another, we prove to the world who we are. Jesus said in John chapter 13, 35, your love, for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. I know for me, as much as I know that verse, what I want it to mean is that when I love all these people here who are my type of person, who agree with my my politics and my theology and my view of the way church should be done, when I love all this group of people, the world will see I'm a disciple. But that's not what the verse means. It means when I love everyone. When Christians love each other, despite the fact that they have different political views or different theological perspectives or different ways of worshiping, when they love one another, the world knows that we're disciples of Jesus. And this is our task. Our task is to be a people who bring reconciliation Because the purpose of this is not just that Christians will be reconciled, but that we would show the world that they can be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians, chapter five, verses 18 to 21. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says, and all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us so we speak for Christ when we plead come back to God for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. These are amazing words. The message of the gospel is that we turn from being enemies of God to being friends of God. It's it's this this movement from not being a people who who are God's to now being God's people. A movement from being far away from God to being close to him and when we bring reconciliation in the church when christians drop their division and get reconciled we demonstrate that we exemplify it. we show to the world that there can be forgiveness that there can be reconciliation that there can be a coming together what does god say in this verses here he says he said he's given us this task of reconciling people He says, because God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And how often as believers do we go, well, after what they've done, what they've said, I'm not sure, not sure I can be with them. That happens in the church, that happens in the global church, sometimes even in the local church, but God says, I'm not gonna count the sins against them because those sins were taken by Christ. When we live in that, when we demonstrate that, we show the world that the gospel works. And you can do this, we can do this because we are able to bring reconciliation because we've experienced this reconciliation. The enemy divides, but God is in the business of reconciling, reconciling his church, reconciling the world to himself. We speak for Jesus. That's what these words say, we speak for Jesus when we plead, be reconciled to God. You know, th- this stuff really works. This gospel truth of God reconciling himself, of the church being reconciled, uh, this really works. And I want to I tell you how how nervous I am actually in this preach, how worried I am in this preach, Even in, even in the midst of preaching this right now, I don't know what your reaction is. I'll tell you my worry. I have two worries. One is that that you would pass these verses by and miss the power of them. Miss the the importance of this. Miss the, the power and the call upon us to bring reconciliation. And my other fear or worry is that you'd think, why is he going on about this? Is there some big issue? Is there some falling out? Some schism, some problem in the church? Well, as I've said before, I love preaching through a book in the Bible because it means you preach what's in the Bible. And so I'm not preaching it because there's some issue. I'm preaching it because it's in Philippians and we're working through Philippians. But I'm preaching it actually really passionately and really sincerely because I believe there's so much more at stake than we realize. What's at stake is the gospel. What's at stake is that people will see Jesus. You know, when we are divided, when the church is divided, when there's fighting in in the public forum as churches and believers fight with each other and air all that dirty laundry and don't work it out properly. When we do that stuff, when we type away on the internet and we wrestle with each other out there in the public, what we do is we undermine the gospel. And the enemy wins. The enemy wins another day of division. And we take away the power of the gospel because in one hand we're saying Jesus forgives. and In another hand we say, yeah, but I don't forgive you. In another hand we say, Jesus takes you as you are. But on this other hand we say, yeah, but I don't like you as you are. And we undermine it. When we're not in unity with one another. This is the problem. I mean, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we have to agree all on the same theology, we won't. It doesn't mean we have to have the same doctrines exactly or the same practices or the same styles of worship. But we have to agree in the gospel, in coming together for the sake of the world, for the good news to go forth, for Jesus' name to be lifted up. We have to agree there. You know what, when we can reconcile our differences, we step into God's way. We step out of the enemy's plan for division. We step into God's plan for reconciliation. And when we abandon the friendly fire, when we love one another, when we work through those challenges in a loving way and we reconcile, we do more than we just stop undermining our gospel. We demonstrate it. We show it. And I, I, I want you to, hear that when we do that, when we visibly visibly reconcile, it's like we're shouting love to the world, we're shouting forgiveness, we're preaching a bigger, bolder message than anyone could ever believe. I want you to hear the reality of this, and I promise you it will blow you away. I want you to hear a very short conversation between two people. There's a man called Kerry Newhoff, It's a podcast, and he's interviewing a lady called Daniel Strickland. And uh, there's no video to watch, so you just have to listen to the audio. But I want you to hear this story from Daniel Strickland of what she experienced in Rwanda and how this gospel truth of reconciliation can change things in a dramatic way forever. Have a listen to this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this, I mean, all this kind of really came to a head for me I was in Rwanda with uh, World Relief. And I was sitting in this village called the Transformation Village. And there are these centers in Rwanda, you know, where which suffered that genocide 20 years ago, yeah. where we all just were like, you know, over a million people were killed in 40 days. It was crazy massacred. And I was sitting in this transformation village, which are kind of these like examples Rwanda has used to say, we're going to rebuild the country. We're never going to let this happen again. Hmm. And they've used this thing called one people. So you're not allowed to be a tribe. You're just Rwandan now. There's no tribes anymore. There's no Hutu, Tutsi. Yeah, there's no divisions anymore. Mm -hmm. We're no longer going to live this way. So what they did was they looked for people that would live sort of reconciliation in real life in these transformation villages. So they could say, this is what it looks like. So we visited one of these transformation villages and we met Grace who lives there and her neighbor, John. And Grace tells us, you know, about the massacre of her family. She's the only survivor just sort of about her own trauma and her own journey of like getting to forgiveness as a way of coping, just like living. Because otherwise she just wanted to offer herself every single day. And she talked about how forgiveness was one of the ways that unlocked healing in her life. And we're just like, that's awesome, you know, great. And then she's like, now I I want to introduce you to my neighbor. My neighbor's John. And she like literally reaches over and grabs his hand tenderly. And he says, John is also the man who killed my family. And we were like, I'm like three feet from them. And I'm just like, no, no, that's not (laughs) a thing. Like you can't, that's not a like that's, you've just taken this thing way too far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then John begins to tell his story through tears. And like every time he would like not be able to speak, she would just reach over and like pat his hand. And at one point she just said, I'm so glad you're here, John. I'm so glad you're here. And John talked about like being part of this massacre, killing her family, like being caught up in this like thing that happened and then just being so filled with self-loathing and hiding. He was, a, you know, 150 prisoners they had in Rwanda and he was one of those prisoners and he talked about every morning he would get up and just want to off himself and wondered like why he was alive. And, and then some Christian, Rwandan Christians went in to visit and minister to prisoners all these people that had massacred their family and said, you know, you can you can be forgiven. This isn't the end. This isn't the last uh, act. There's an act bigger than this. It's called a resurrection. <laughs> and Jesus is the, the king of that act. And so anyway, he received Jesus and he sort of was like, maybe I could be forgiven. And then they were like, anyone that wants to make restitution, willing to tell the truth about what happened and wants to serve, you know, Rwanda and rebuild the country uh, will reduce your sentence by half if you're willing to be part of this project. So he was like, I don't think I deserve it. And I think I probably should die, but I really do want to rebuild this country and I want to make things right. And so he put up his hand for the project. So he, they moved them into this transformation village. Grace and John gave them a plot of land with a pile of bricks in the middle and said, okay, build a new life. And so then they started to say, cause we're just like full of, like, we're like, what, how? <laughs> like, ah. Unbelievable. Like, uh, yeah, like totally. And I'm just, I can touch you, but I still can't believe this is happening. And so they just said, you know, every day we would meet at the brick pile. And she said, the first thing we did was we separated our property so we wouldn't have to see each other because I was filled with fear and he was filled with loathing and shame. So every time we met each other, this fear and the shame and loathing would come in. So he said, we tried not to make eye contact and we just went about building our own houses on our own plot of land. And, but we kept meeting at the brick pile and Grace said, I found there were things I couldn't do and I would have to eventually ask John for his help. And John would not only help me, but every time I would take a break, he would come over and he would work on my house. And he would do things to, you know, and every time we met, she said, eventually we started looking at each other in the eye. And eventually we started, and now we're like the best of friends. And I'm, he's family, then my family's gone, and I'm his family. And we've decided to live a reconciled life. And we're, there's not a dry eye in the place. Like, we're just like, our mouths are dropped to the, like, we're just like, okay, now forgiveness just became something that, like, I need to do more of. And also you realize, whoa, this message, like, It's power. And then when Paul says, you know, this is the ministry of reconciliation and it is the good news, you're like, it really is the good news. I mean, it's otherworldly. This is a sign and a wonder that there's a way of life that's different. We do not have to be stuck in these perpetual, you know, victimization and, you know, just we can be free and that the world's desperate for this. And I think between women and men, this is the most important message of all. Like it's time to live a different way.
0: It's an amazing story. What, What can I add to that? You know, when we live out reconciliation as a united church, when we work out the pain and the difficulties, when we bring reconciliation in that real tangible way, I mean, you can be a world changer. You can change communities and nations when we demonstrate the truth of the gospel and that power of reconciliation. You know, right now, under all the pressure that everyone is under, it's a ripe territory for division. Just pick any sensitive issue. Brexit, (laughs) Boris, going back to school, whether you should open churches or we should stay online, Black Lives Matters, what should we do with travelers? Any particular hot issue you want, you will find someone who disagrees with you as a Christian brother and sister. You'll find division. And so I want to say, if you right now are feeling divided from others, you know that division, you know there's someone right now, another Christian believer, and you're like, I don't even want to speak to that person. You might have unfriended them on Facebook, or maybe just hidden them because I can't be around them anymore. I can't stand their views. I would say, be reconciled be reconciled and like I've said in this message like this text has shown us the right way to do that is working together for the sake of the gospel and can I tell you as well I mean every sermon I preach preaches to me I've been particularly challenged about this there's stuff I need to do there are a couple of Christian leaders who I don't agree with and I'm just avoiding them right now because I just don't like what they stand for And I've got to receive this message as well. I've got to step into this as well. It preaches to me that says, I'm undermining the gospel. And however, if we can work through that, if we can come together and say, we want to see people saved and we can show reconciliation, we can role model to the world God's reconciliation. So if you're in that place, let me tell you, if you feel challenged, don't just walk on by. God's calling you to do something, not just to make things good, but to make the gospel great. But also I would say, if you see it, you see it on your Facebook feed, you see it in your friendship group, you see it in the people you're around, when you see Christians divided, don't just walk away. Where you see friendly fire on the internet and division, just see it for what it is. see that the enemy is getting his way. The enemy's strategy is at work and God has a mission for you. The enemy is dividing, God is reconciling. Which side are you going to be on? Are you going to step into the friendly fire because this one's my friend and don't talk to them like that? Are you going to step away and go, well, that's too hot for me? Or are you going to step in and come alongside each of them side by side and go, hey, hey, we're on the same team, aren't we? Hey, we want to see people saved, don't we? How can we reconcile? How can we show Jesus? God is in The business of reconciliation. Jesus prayed and is interceding before the Father right now that we would be one. And he calls us into this ministry of reconciliation. For the sake of the gospel, which side are you going to be on?